Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today, I am extremely excited to have on Erica Satula. So Erica Satula is head of our instructional design department. She's one of the smartest people I know. If you ever need like, like a phone a friend on a trivia question, like I am pretty sure Erica is the girl I would call on just about any topic. And I, I wanted to bring her on today because we started instructional design group here about two years ago. And I think it's just really revolutionized how we think about training and how we build the training. And I think just getting Erica's perspective on this, what we've done and what we're aiming to do is going to be really exciting. So welcome, Eric. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm really excited to be here today and talk to you a little bit about instructional design and what we've done at Pragmatic. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit. So when we think about instructional design, if someone's listening and they don't know what instructional design is, give us the, hey, this is what I do and why it's awesome. Absolutely. So instructional design is really all about taking learning experiences and making them in a way that resonates with humans. We pull a lot from psychology, behavior science, neuroscience, and all those different areas to make experiences that are not only engaging and enjoyable in the moment, but really translate to not only results for that individual, but a lot of times results for organizations and businesses after the fact. So an instructional designer's job is to really take content that, you know, a subject matter expert might be super, super passionate about and break it down in a way that's digestible, engaging, and exciting for someone who might not have that same depth or breadth of knowledge. I think that's got to be super interesting too, because I know it's true when we make classes, right, where we've got subject matter experts and their expertise is deep, right? Like they're, and to break it down in order to create training for someone who doesn't know anything, right? Not that they don't know anything at all, but they don't know anything about that topic. And how do you find the right balance, I think, has got to be something that takes a lot of expertise, but maybe also a lot of testing along the way. Yeah, absolutely. That's honestly my favorite part. Like if I think about, you know, why instructional design called to me and why I'm so passionate about it, it's really because I do love learning. Like I think one of the reasons I might be the person on the quiz show is one of my favorite hobbies is like, going on Wikipedia and thinking through and learning all of these new and exciting things and being able to do that with a real life subject matter expert is like 
the highlight of my day every time. So when I get to spend time with our product instructors, our data instructors, our design instructors, and talk to them about what they're passionate about, it ignites that same passion. Like, how can I get this into a way to show everyone else how awesome this is? So just really having that passion for learning and thinking through how I can take what these people have, you know, worked so hard and built up such a deep and and bountiful knowledge base about and translate that into a way that motivates others and, and shows that same aha moment for them is my absolute favorite thing. And thinking through like when you talk to a subject matter expert about, you know, what they're excited about. A lot of times it bounces kind of here to there because they're making all these awesome connections in their brain. It's going 5 million miles an hour. And what I'm thinking through at that same time is like, okay, I can put this piece, I can connect it over here to this bridge, or I can build this learning experience in a way that helps make this path a little bit more direct and a little bit more concentrated on what's really going to motivate those adults who are in the room with the, tr- the learning experience. And, and that's my favorite part, honestly. Absolutely. So that's that curiosity that's that's yeah. so critical, right? So thinking about like the subject matter experts, again, it's often hard for, for, you know, what we help them do is break down something that they know so well into the smallest steps, which gets harder and harder, the stronger, you know, if you've got kids, Erica, trying to teach a kid to tie a shoe. I was yeah. like, I don't know. And then you just tie it. Like what, yeah. <laughs> what are the steps I go through is a, is a really strong spot. And I think that's, that's how we really help the subject matter experts. I think the other place that we're and your team are particularly focused is on what does the adult learner need, right, yeah. from a learning experience. And that that's also just evolved so much through the year. So let's talk a little bit about that. As you've got the subject matter expert on one side, but when you're thinking about the learner in the room, what is it that you know that they need to really be able to be successful? Yeah. So one of my favorite learning and development analogies that I'm going to get to share with you right now is called the writer and the elephant. And I think it does a really great job of showing exactly what an instructional designer has to consider when we're thinking about that training experience. So the way the analogy works is every human essentially is made up of two components. We have the writer, which is the one that's, you know, saying, we're definitely going to go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight. We're going to get a regular bedtime. We're going to get up. We're going to get our full eight hours. It's going to be great. The elephant, on the other hand, who's like, there's one more episode in this Netflix series. I, <laughs> I know the elephant well. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, and as you're thinking about like what adult learners need and what really motivates them, you have to consider both because we all want to be the writer 100% of the time. We want to be in charge. But in reality, that's not often what happens. There are all these extrinsic factors that come into a learning experience. It's, you know, is someone sending you a text message? Is, are you worried about a project that's going on at work? And in that learning environment, we're really combating and controlling every single outside influence that could possibly be a person could be experiencing that moment. So we really have to think of like, what are the ways we can attract and engage that elephant as well as that rider? Mm. If we can make sure that elephant's excited to be there and engaged in the process of learning, the rider's already on board. That's the one we already have. Adults are great when you think about it compared to children because they know, like the kid's like, eh, time my shoe. Who cares? I'll try to and Adults understand like, oh, no, I don't want to fall down. My knee already hurts, right? So we we have a little bit of that process already going. So when we're thinking about how we, you know, manage that elephant, there were already so many great things in place at Pragmatic that just 
resonated with me when I started here and why I love working here so much is like, we tell great stories. That is one of the number one ways you can engage the elephant through telling those applicable stories and engaging them in that narrative construct that really says like, oh, something interesting is happening here or something has betrayed my expectations. You can surprise it in that same way. Maybe the story or the activity has a plot or a twist in it that is a little bit different from what you've experienced before. You know, showing it new and shiny things. I think this is another thing we do great here at Pragmatic. We provide so many awesome and exciting tools and really bringing those to the forefront of the learning experience is a great way to re-engage that under underlying elephant piece that's, you know, throughout that training. And the the last thing I think we do really well is show it that other people are already doing it. Hmm. Elephants, the reason this analogy works so well is because elephants tend to be very social, right? They're very large. They're very powerful. They're very strong. That makes sense of like why it often overrides that rider. But they also love to see and know that other elephants are being successful or doing the same thing. And that can immediately re-engage them. And we already have such a strong community built in the pragmatic family that it is so easy to engage that elephant with our learning that it has made designing training in this space an absolute delight. Uh, yeah, that is a, a great analogy. And I think it's also just really interesting just as a, as a human, right? You yeah. think about like, you're, you're, you know, there's one more episode yeah. and you think of the elephant as bad and like, how can yeah. I keep the elephant away? And how can I pin the elephant in another room? And how can I conquer my elephant? And here it's like, no, you've got an elephant, right? Like that's just like, admit this in your life. You have an elephant. How do you use the elephant for good, right? How do you know the things the elephant likes to do, but find places where they they move things forward? And I think it also, I think it's a really good analogy, even for our instructors in front of the room, because we know how important those stories are. But this gives it a like a reason, right? Not just because they're great stories and they're fun to tell and people laugh or they remember them, but like there are real reasons why we do that. And so that is an excellent analogy. Yeah. Okay. So we know that they need to have their elephants engaged and that they're going to, you know, we do that in a variety of ways. I think one of the other things that we find with our learners is the writers are very strong, right? A lot of the roles we we teach and the, and the people we teach, they're very, they're very strong. They're very experienced. They have a strong business understanding. We have a lot of type A personalities in our particular, our product management, product marketing training, right? So at the same time that with the elephant, I think there are certain things that you guys build into the programs because you know, you have good writers too. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that when I think about like our writers and like those characteristics of adult learning that they really bring to the space, it makes our job so much easier as instructional designers because we have those adult learners who are so involved. They have that intrinsic motivation. A lot of times, some of the most difficult trainings you can design are those compliance trainings where you're not, you're thinking through like, oh, I, you know, I have to do this. I have to click next. And that can make it really hard to engage that writer. But because we have adult learners who are instead intrinsically motivated, they already understand the problems that they have. And it is our job as instructional designers to take those problems and then start connecting them to behaviors. And we have such a great structure of starting, you know, talking through what challenges they're experiencing at their job that immediately activates that intrinsic motivation to go, you know, wow, this is something I can take back and start doing right away. It connects to me for a little bit of, this might seem a little off topic, but another instructional design favorite thing is game design theory. Because game design really thinks about how 
we take humans, put them in an environment and elicit behaviors we want. And when we think about learning, that's really what it comes down to. We're not looking for the learning itself. We're looking for that behavior. We want that application. That is where the real value is for any organization or business is in that application. And it's really about how you take that learner, you show them the goal, show them the challenge that they're experiencing and where they're going to be able to apply it. And then give them the opportunity to do some interactive practice. What that does for them is it allows them a safe, a psychologically safe space to practice that behavior before they try to apply it to new contexts. So I know in our product classes, we love to talk about context and how important that is. And that's the same same exact thing we talk about in learning. I might be able to show you something in a classroom, but giving you that opportunity to practice that skill or practice that tool first in the room is what's actually going to elicit that behavior, right? So to connect that to like game design, when you know if you're playing a new game and it teaches you how to do a new move, the second I leave that area where it taught me that new move, I'm going to try it again and again and again and see what other contexts it might work in. And we want to have that same experience in our classes, that same enjoyment of practicing that activity for the first time in a space that allows a little bit of flexibility or allows a little bit of safer practice where maybe I'm not presenting it to some internal stakeholders or some peers that I might feel a little bit more reluctant against, but instead practicing in a way that creates a productive struggle. So something that might be, you know, a little bit difficult, but still achievable. And then what learners are able to do is take that, test out those behaviors and apply it in a new context. Typically for us, that means back at their organization. And that's how we know when they're really activated and we can move beyond just the reactions they're having to training or developing that knowledge to actually producing the results that we're looking for and impacting their work. Yeah, I think that's something that that we've always been really passionate about. And I think something that your team has really given us some good scaffolding within the, it's like, we are really focused not just on training them, but on making them apply it, right? Helping them implement it. How quickly can they implement what they learn so that they're having impact that we want them to have? And I think it's something that we know it kind of starts before the classroom. It certainly is jump-started in the classroom and then it's after the classroom as well. You touched on some of the ways we do that in terms of like letting them practice in a safe space. How else are we really focused on sort of ensuring that they can use what we teach them as soon as they leave. Yeah, that is another area. I, I feel like I'm just going to say I love all of these things because they're all I my think favorite. you do love it. I think that's why you're an instructional designer and that's why you're so good at it. And, and so another way that we look through like ensuring that transferability and getting to like what we would call in learning and development, those higher Kirkpatrick levels of, again, not only understanding, you know, that what we would call level one, that reaction, and then level two, that learning, but really getting to those three and four, which is the impact. How did the training change any behavior? And then how did that training influence performance? We, number one, just like you said, look at providing scaffolds. So we know that we can provide scaffolding in the classroom by chunking content appropriately, providing those opportunities for processing frequently during content, but it doesn't end there. In order to have a truly transformational learning journey, you have to have those scaffolds in place after the class too. Because ultimately, the human capacity to remember things is limited, right? No matter what you do, you will not remember every moment of everything. So we have to provide those scaffolds after the fact. 
And we work really well with our partners, you know, in the community, doing webinars, doing things for the pack to really engage them in that complete learning journey that not only supports them in that moment during class, but also guides them afterwards, brings to the front things that, you know, maybe had gotten lost in the shuffle and make sure that they continue to focus on how they can improve that. We also provide them with things like action plans that really lay out some concrete steps that they can take after that course, providing those implementation and tools and templates that will really, you know, help them actually do their job. Those job aids that actually matter and get used and get manipulated and molded to be exactly what they need at that moment in time. Having that, you know, just in time type of training is really one of the holy grails of any type of learning and development situation because it's something that is really individualized and needs based. When I'm in a class, you know, there's a lot we can do to support and train you. But, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, how do we make sure those things are still happening is the area I'm always the most excited about and something that I think Pragmatic, you know, is really strong in. We have such a strong community of peers and leaders across the globe that really support one another and help each other in implementing and developing such a strong product skill set. It's it's really, truly impressive. One of the things you touched on there a little bit was like, collaborative learning and peer collaboration. Let's talk a little bit more about that and why that's important and kind of where you see some of that really take place. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason that peer collaboration is so important is number one, I'll tie it back to that elephant thing, right? We love seeing that other people are doing what we're doing. It makes us feel affirmed in our actions. It provides a lot of psychological safety, meaning you feel safe to not only try new things, but if mistakes are made, you don't feel devastated about them. But it also provides you an opportunity to, you know, really process and actually start to integrate these things into your longer term memory. A pretty common, you know, turn of phrase that most people have heard is, you know, you know, it's easy to learn something. It's very hard to teach something. Once you can actually teach something, that's when you know you really, really know it. Because not only are you prepared for, you know, what might be on the slide or what might be occurring in the activity, but you have a depth of knowledge to field questions and actually engage with that. And we can recreate that experience in these small collaborative groups by allowing adults to grapple with, you know, interesting problems that they might experience. And then having our instructors facilitate those problems by, you know, setting them up, giving them that structure, setting the boundaries of what we really want to learn, and then supporting the learners through, you know, reflection and guided questioning to really achieve that overall result. So it is just such a powerful experience because it allows them to, number one, take that step back from getting those inputs to now developing, starting to think about those outputs. So how can I start taking what I've just heard, you know, in maybe this 10, 15 minute chunk and think about how it really applies to me. So I think those collaborative experiences are most powerful when they're paired with a couple of other things. So first, I think they have to start with that guided instruction. We need a very strong facilitator to show them that expected result and tell them that expected outcome. So they know they're set up for success going into that collaboration. Then doing that interactive practice is where they're like, okay, I feel like I have a good idea of it. But, you know, once you start, the IKEA instructions look easy when you open them at the box. But when you're on step 7A, you're like, okay, is this the right screw? So they get that opportunity to really make things tangible and make things real. And then finally, they get that and they start to think about that in a reflective way of like, okay, I just tried this here. Now what happens when I go back and do it at work? And those three steps together are really what makes collaboration important because I've seen the mistake countless times in learning experiences where we people will put people in groups just to say, you know, 
go ahead, collaborate, not really giving those specific problems or giving those specific prompts. And I mean, that's a great break. I mean, I'm sure I have to get a drink or use the restroom or do something else, but providing that purpose, setting that problem and actually supporting the learners in that collaboration is where you really find the value in it. Not just saying like, okay, go to your breakout room and talk for five minutes. Giving them that purpose and giving them that structure is what really enables them to actually trans- transfer that learning to their their work. Nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. One other thing, just in that space of trans- translating it for their work, one of the things that you guys also talk about is sort of problem-based learning, right? And helping students understand part of teaching them a skill is also helping them recognize where that skill will be needed, Right. And I think it's something we do particularly well in some of the data classes. But talk to me a little bit, because this was also very interesting to me, about problem-based learning and and sort of, again, why it's so important and why it's, you know, in addition to just knowing what to do, when to do it, and how we reinforce those in some ways. Yeah. So problem-based learning is a core principle of a concept known as andragogy, which is the idea or the science of teaching adults. One of the core principles that the original developer Malcolm Knowles came up with back in the 80s was that adults are really problem focused. They are not content oriented like we would consider in a pedagogical environment or a child center environment, but they are really problem centered. They have work experience and they have that intrinsic motivation to come to the table with those problems. So when we design our learning experience in a way that not only acknowledges, but helps them grapple with those problems, it helps them feel so much more empowered when they they actually leave that experience because they are not only able to say like, oh, these people aren't, you know, teaching from their ivory tower saying everything's perfect, but they're acknowledging that I there are issues with my day-to-day and I need to solve them. I need to understand how these things are going to make a difference in my work. And I think that's where really enabling that problem-based learning in the classroom is, number one, it takes a lot of work from our subject matter experts and our instructional designers to design that right problem because we want to make sure it resonates with, you know, a, a large all of our our learners, we want to make sure that it's something that is very specific and relatable to what they're actually experiencing, but also applicable in a way that doesn't limit us, you know, to just a single industry or a single type of product. We have to think in a way that is, you know, maybe a little bit outside the box. And that's one of the fav- my favorite challenges we talk about here at Pragmatic is thinking of new and innovative ways to find and teach people how to grapple with those problems. The nice part about when you start to grapple with problems is number one, it starts to build a rapport not only between the people in that class because they're solving problems together and experiencing and working together, but it also starts to show their growth in that moment, which again, to go back to my writer and elephant, that's motivating to the writer and the elephant. I'm already seeing growth. I'm already seeing like, oh, this is a new way, or maybe I'm finding a new thread to pull on in this problem. And a lot of times that's the space we don't have in our day-to-day work, right? We're focused on a fire. We're focused on whatever email is coming in. We're not really having the time to process through those bigger, maybe structural problems or bigger structural ideas that we want to think about. And really what I value in a training and, and the design of a training is giving people the space to do that. Because I think that is where you really give them the time and the the leeway to say, like, let's think about this in new and creative ways, you know, pulling on some of our design thinking aspects and letting them look at it from a different point of view or letting them experience it with a different set of peers than they might be traditionally used to dealing with. 
are great ways to break open problems and really solve them. So that is one of my favorite things to do with our learners is to put them in a situation where, you know, things might be a little unsure and we want to like really figure stuff out and get into it. I think that most accurately represents a real world experience. And I think it's a great way to start giving people some space to think about those larger things they might be experiencing in their work. Excellent. All right. Another area that I think is really important when we talk about training, and we've touched on a lot of this, but I think one of the things that people are always looking for is, to your point, it's more than like, oh, it was a great training and a good break for them. But like, this is training that will move the needle and really deliver results. And we've talked about some of that is through application and activation. Some of that is through how are we helping them recognize where they're going to use the skills? What other ways do we kind of have built in? This is how we ensure that the training is delivering measurable impact. Yeah. So there's a couple things. So on the front end, one of the things that I love about my design team is they do a great job of getting to know our learners and getting to know our audience. This ensures that when we start designing a training, it is going to be impactful to them. Doing those ride-alongs with our product managers to really understand what the needs are and then doing an exper- doing experimentation along the way to ensure we're actually getting the results we're looking for help us design really meaningful trainings. The other thing that I always make sure we do with our courses is, you know, when we look at those certification assessments is breaking them down and connecting them back to content. So we do a process called blueprinting, wherein we look at the learning objectives that might be throughout a course and then map those and connect those to the questions that are on those certification exams. This helps us do a couple things when we're thinking about application. Number one, as an instructional designer, it shows me where my gaps are, right? It shows me anywhere there might be trends or insights that I can look for and say like, oh, This specific topic, a lot of people are picking answer A. I'm wondering why they're picking answer A. And that helps give me some really good questions to dig into the content and really understand where I can continue to build up knowledge or where I can continue to build up activities that might help them process things in a little bit different way. Oftentimes, you know, the incorrect responses that people give are almost more interesting than the correct one. The correct one's kind of the expected result, right? But when you see the other things that people are engaging with, that's where you're really able to, as a designer, look at what can I do differently? What can I change? What can I expand to really think through how I can make this training as impactful as possible? Because we'll see trends change over time. You know, maybe a concept was less familiar initially, and now it's being more familiar. I expect we'll see that trend, you know, with AI. We lightly touch on some things like that in our course. It's not, it's a newer topic, but as we get more and more familiar, I'm sure our content stories and activities will evolve around that to include more and more of those things. So it's a bit of a combination of, you know, always staying in touch with what problems our market, our product managers, our designers, and our data people are experiencing, but then also checking our work at the end. One doesn't work without the other. We have to do it at the beginning and we have to do it at the end because if we just assume we get it right from the first try, we're not going to be really reflective. And that reflective practice is something that I really value when I'm looking for instructional designers and I really value and hold as a core principle for myself is that Whenever I work on a project or whenever I work on designing a training, I don't just think about, you know, getting it done, meeting the deadline, getting it out the door. It's, you know, immediately what what else can I do next time? Where are those areas we want to continue to refine? And then looking to the data to actually see if that's 
held true and what hypothesis, you know, we might need to relook at or what areas we really need to redesign. So. Well, and that's related to the, one of the other questions I have. We talk a lot about psychological safety, right? Yeah. And it's being a, and one of the places that it seems like, well, oh, that doesn't, you know, is we, we do do a certification test at the end of all of our tests yeah. or all of our, our courses or, or most of them. And there's always that moment you can see as the test comes in, the learner starts to like think about it and like get a little nervous. And despite that, though, I think we think it's a really important piece. Tell me a little bit. Why, why do we torture them at the end of the class? That's a good <laughs> Which, <laughs> so a little bit about why is, is number one is it goes back to that, that data and that assessment piece. If I am not actually assessing what is happening at the, at that level two, we talked about Kirkpatrick earlier. So we always get a reaction. You know, you can see on the zoom, you can see in person what the faces look like. You get a survey afterwards, but really assessing that learning and understanding is so critical to actually getting into that long term transfer of knowledge and skills. So when we sit down and we think about taking that assessment, it is a step in solidifying. So number one, it does help control your elephant a little bit because maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, got to pay attention. Right, There's a little motivation there. A little motivation there is not bad to have, but also just thinking through what that enables us to do on the after support side is so important. I can look at those test results and I can look at the assessment results and really understand, you know, wow, maybe we're seeing a lot of, you know, incorrect answers around a specific topic. Maybe that's a really great idea for an infographic or a future webinar or a pack thread. It might be something that we can offer more support for our learners in. So honestly, I mean, I I am always, I said this earlier, but I'm always so excited when I see interesting responses to assessments or even just those formative questions that we ask during class. So when we're doing a discussion or we're doing an activity, it's also just kind of an an in-the-moment assessment of understanding where our learners are and where maybe there are additional gaps that didn't get seen before the class. Because, you know, in the prior and the, the discovery phase, we haven't taught them anything yet. So they're really coming to us in that raw state. But after we've fed them a little bit of knowledge in the class, assessing at that moment is again important because it helps me continue that transformational learning journey outside of that class. So that is why one of the things all of my instructional design team, you know, we always block out as much time as we possibly can for attending classes, watching videos of our instructors, because that is really where we get such valuable feedback and our instructors, because we cannot be in every class every day are such a key part of that partnership and communicating with us, what they're seeing and feeling at the front of the classroom. It just makes for honestly, just an easy experience in designing training and learning that matters to people because we have so many good opportunities for inputs and the certification is definitely an important part of it, but it's only one part, right? So it helps us a little bit with controlling that elephant. It helps us a little bit in finding other ways to support that learner, but it also does that intrinsic motivation piece that we talked about with Andragogy and Malcolm Knowles of, of saying like, I've earned something. I've mm-hmm. solidified my knowledge. I have something I can show. And in the one of the ways you maintain that intrinsic motivation is by receiving occasional extrinsic value, right? Yep. So seeing the value in your job, seeing the value in that badge shared, all of those are great ways to really say like, this was an experience that mattered to me and made a difference. I think it is it is a definite reward for people when they see how much the certifications are valued. And I also think then it's something that as a learning and development organizations can use both to build excitement within there and also to, to deliver value to their employee base, right? So not only have I trained you, I gave you something very tangible, 
that you can show off that shows that you've expanded your skills. And I think both of those things are really, are really key. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we do such a good job of like all the things that we set up for our learners you know, obviously I'm thinking of my L and D peeps as well, because like, that's the the struggle I've had in past roles is I might send people out to a training or pay someone to come in and do a training, but then maybe I don't have a lot of insight onto what I should be looking for afterwards. Like I didn't go to training myself. So what do I need to find out? And I can refer back to all the things we already have in place for our learners that we make accessible. Thinking of those action plans, those tools and templates, those are all those higher Kirkpatrick levels that I as a learning and development professional can look for, right? So I know that when I see a syllabus from one of our courses, I can look at that, find those tools and see where they're being used. Now I've started to build some of that common language with my learners so that I can say like, oh, hey, did you, instead of just saying, hey, did you do anything with that training? I can ask more specifically, how many Nahito visits have you been on? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, can you show me a story planner that you've worked on recently? And those things make it, you know, number one, build the the relationship internally in the organization, but also help me understand where I'm actually getting value for the training dollars I'm spending. Absolutely. Okay. We talked about lots of different things today, Erica. If you were going to have listeners remember two things, what, like, what are you, the two most important guiding principles that you believe you've put in place here at Pragmatic and for your team in terms of when we build educational experience? What are the two things you're like, I want them to remember that we are this and that? Absolutely. Number one, we are interactive and problem-based. I think that is one of my defining principles. Having that collaborative problem-based experience is what really makes training valuable. If you do not have that interaction during a course, if you do not have that processing and reflection time embedded into the teaching, the likelihood of you seeing a return on your investment Mm -hmm. quickly approaches zero. We've all been through a click-through training and they do not always have those built-in processing moments. And that just makes them absolutely fall flat. They are so easy to let our elephant get way off track and not think through. The second thing I would say is that really just thinking through that immediate application piece, how Mm -hmm. do we enable people to immediately apply what they're learning is so, so critical in our design. When we're thinking through, you know, the different design questions and design processes we go through in a training, we always have to go back and see not only, you know, are we consistently giving those opportunities for practice, but also are we showing them how that connects to their real world? That is, that is what drives me as a learning development professional is knowing that I am making a difference to that person when they actually get back to what they're doing. Of course, I want them to have a wonderful time. Of course, I want them to have a great day, bond with others, leave with a positive experience. But where I feel like it really shows that long-term value is that application, giving them the tools, empowering them to actually get some stuff done when they get back to the office. Awesome. As always, Erica, Absolutely delightful to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. (laughs) 